Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is opened up to Proverbs, the third chapter, and I'm going to invite you to be finding Proverbs chapter 3 in your Bible as well. That's where we're going to be for uh, really the majority of our lesson. We're going to keep coming back and forth to Proverbs chapter 3, and the other passage we're going to be working from is Hebrews 11. So if you're able to kind of do two things at once, be queuing up Proverbs 3 in your Old Testament and Hebrews 11 in your New Testament. That's the only two passages we're going to work from today. We're just going to kind of bounce back and forth as we work together in the Word of God. I appreciate so very much the opportunity to get to stand before you once again and to uh, share some things from Scripture that I hope will be helpful and beneficial to you and to your life. Uh, Not only do I want to present the Word of God accurately and in such a way that uh, is in harmony with what the Scriptures teach, but I hope that I can present some things that will be helpful and beneficial and practical to you. And that is especially the case this morning as we're going to be talking about making some things very, very practical for our lives from the Bible. And so let's read together. In Proverbs 3, let's set things up in verse number 5 where the wise man says this, Proverbs 3, 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. That is an amazing passage of Scripture, isn't it? I've heard those verses quoted or referenced or the basis of countless sermons and devotionals and invitation talks. I've heard those verses quoted at graduation ceremonies. I've seen those verses printed on signs and plaques and in other home decor in people's homes. Why, even just this past week, I saw four different friends on Facebook who posted that passage on their page. It is a very popular passage of Scripture. In fact, every year whenever Bible websites reveal their top ten most searched verses in the Bible, this passage regularly appears near the top of that list. It is a famous and powerful set of verses. And I believe that's so because in such a small amount of space, Solomon describes for us how it is that we ought to live as the people of God. He describes for us what is the fuel for our spiritual engines. He describes for us what it means to be people of faith. And I think that is what makes these verses so popular. Because Solomon is able to take the concept of faith and he's able to transport it outside of the confines of a church building and he's able to help us to see what faith is all about out there in the real world in day-to-day life. And I'm really interested in that. I'm not interested in talking about what faith is in some sort of abstract, esoteric, nebulous sort of way. No, I'm interested to know what it really means to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. That sounds good. It looks good on a plaque. But how do I know that I'm actually doing that? How do I know that I am living by faith? Well, this morning I want to use this text along with the 11th chapter of Hebrews to help to put our foot on that all-important path. You know, preachers get to preach on a lot of different topics, lots of things that interest them, things that they're studying, uh, get really, really deep and get really, really philosophical. But every now and then, preachers have the opportunity to just stop and to just drill down to the very core issues that undergird everything that we are and everything that we hope to be. 
And what really could be more foundational? What could be more fundamental than faith? Well, this morning, I want to talk about faith. And I want to share with you three ideas that will help us to be people who are sure that we are living by faith. People who have the kind of faith that is genuine and is real and is practical. And that all begins just by understanding that Proverbs chapter 3 in verse 5, it is calling upon me to trust God and to trust God enough to obey Him. To do what He says. If we're going to talk about faith, then somewhere in there we're going to talk about obedience to God. I mentioned a moment ago that we'd be relying on Hebrews 11 a little bit and I need you to cue that passage up right now. Because Hebrews chapter 11 provides for us a wonderful place to see what faith looks like. This chapter just begins by telling us what faith is, by defining it right out of the gate. In Hebrews 11 and in verse 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's a helpful definition and it gets us started, but the Hebrew writer doesn't stop there. He continues on by talking about if you don't have this, if you don't have faith, that's going to create some problems between you and God. Verse 6, he says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now having then laid that groundwork, what the writer then does next is he sails off for a remarkable 40 verses of storytelling in which he recounts again and again and again men and women who trusted in the Lord with all of their heart. And I love the way that the Hebrew writer describes the faith of these men and these women because they all illustrate exactly the same principle. So look for example in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance and he went out. Drop down to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Drop down to verse 20 now. By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Drop down to verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Drop down to verse 29, talking about Moses and the Israelites. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. You just keep going on and on and on here. But every story says the same thing. By faith, someone did something. Every single one of them. By faith, these people obeyed God. That's the common denominator here. And I want to submit to you this morning that living by faith means that I will do just that. I will obey God. Not just some of the time. Not even most of the time. But I will make it my life's mission to obey God every time. In fact, look with me at verse 7. In verse 7, the writer there talks about Noah. Everybody knows about Noah, don't we? Verse 7, what's it say about Noah? By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, 
in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. We all know about Noah and his story, how he constructed this big monstrous thing and how he became an heir of righteousness. But I want you to be sure that you understand this as well. Noah did not build that ark because it was just some kind of a weekend hobby. It wasn't like you know Moses was standing around with a bunch of people and people were saying, Hey, well, what do you like to do for fun? And one guy said, Oh, I, I like to fish. Oh, what do you like to do for fun? Oh, I collect stamps. Hey, Noah, what do you do for fun? Oh, I'm into woodworking. Oh, really? What do you build? Oh, well, last week I built a table. This week I'm building an ocean liner. No, that's not how that went. And you should know as well that Noah did not flip on the weather channel and say, well, would you look at that? It looks like it's going to come a flood around here. I think I better get to building me a big old boat. No! As best we can tell, Noah didn't even know what rain was. There's very good evidence that it hadn't even rained yet on the face of the earth. And so we're wondering, why did Noah build that big ark? I'll tell you why. Because God told him to. Noah believed God and so he did what God commanded right down to the very most minute details. You know, whenever I ask a question like, how can we know that we are living by faith? How can I know that I'm trusting in the Lord with all of my heart? When you ask that kind of question, people get really quiet. People get really introspective. That's the kind of question that causes kind of a, a hush to fall across the room. And you can kind of just sense that that's a, that's a probing question. And we mull that question over in our mind because we want to know what kind of faith we have. Maybe what we'd like is we'd like to have some kind of a faithometer, some kind of a little, little piece of a device that we can just kind of... We can just run it over ourselves and look at it. Oh, look at there. Hey, look where the dial's pointing. That's how much faith I have. Or maybe we'd like some kind of a faith dipstick. We just dip this thing down into our soul and it lets us know, hey, well, looky there. Yep, that's how deep my faith is. Wouldn't you like to have that? Wouldn't you like to have some kind of a gauge? A gauge to see how your faith measures up? Well, right here it is. Right here it is. Do I do what God tells me to do? Am I obedient to the Lord? That's one of the biggest ways that you can measure the quality and the depth of your faith. Am I obedient to God? You know, somehow in the religious world, we have been led to believe that faith and obedience, that somehow those things are, that they're in opposition to one another. Yet I want to ask, how could faith ever be opposed to the very thing that it always produces? Real faith produces obedience. Living by faith demands our obedience. Can I just add to this as well? I think this is an appropriate time to add this. It's a very timely occasion to add this. That obedience to God means that I'm going to do that even if it's risky. Even if it's risky. Did you hear that? Faith takes risks in order to obey. One brother wrote the following. He said, we can tell to what extent we trust God by looking at how much risk we're willing to take in order to obey Him. And I think he's on to something. It was a risk for Noah to build that ark, wasn't it? 
It was a huge risk of time and energy and money wasted. He risked being ridiculed by his family or by his friends for engaging in such a dumb project. But Noah was willing to take that risk, wasn't he? And obeying God, it will mean risk for you and I as well. You think about it. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to be a Christian, what's your family going to say about that? I've known people who they took a huge risk. They stepped out in faith so that they could obey the Lord and they knew that that was going to put them at odds with their family. It may put you at odds with your friends. What are your friends going to say about that? Oh, you got religion now, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. You're now a part of that church down there. Well, you just think you're so much better than the rest of us. Obedience is going to mean persecution and ridicule or loss and sacrifice. may have to give up a job. may have strained relationships. On and on the list goes. But trusting in God with all of my heart, it doesn't even flinch at any of those sorts of things. Because real faith submits. Real faith acts. Real faith obeys every single time. Maybe you've heard the illustration before about the tightrope walker back in the 1800s who used to walk across Niagara Falls from the American side to the Canadian side and back. Well, after a while, people got a little bit bored with that and so he started pushing a wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls. And people just, oh, they applauded a thunderous ovation at that. Then he turned to the crowd and he said, hey, do you think I could push the wheelbarrow back? And oh, yes, we think you could do that. Hey, do you think I could do this with a blindfold on? Oh, yes, we think, we believe that you can do that. Then he asked, do you think I could push the wheelbarrow across with somebody in it? Oh, yes, yes, we, the audience just roared, yes, you could do that. And then finally he looked at the audience and he said, Okay, who will get in the wheelbarrow? Who's willing to put their money where their mouth is? And I do think that that is a wonderful illustration of how faith requires action. But you know what? There's something in that story that I've always been a little bit uneasy about. Because the story says, Who wants to get into the wheelbarrow? Listen to me very carefully. God doesn't ask. He commands. He speaks His Word and we must obey. As His obedient children, we're going to obey every single time. Without question, without fail. Faith never sees disobedience as even an option. Faith says, I'm getting in the wheelbarrow, risks and all. And why? Because my heavenly Father told me to. If I'm going to be living by faith, then I must be actively obeying the Lord. Now go back to Proverbs chapter 3. Notice again there. Look at verse 6 again. Would you look at verse 6? In Proverbs 3 and verse 6, after saying that stuff about trusting in the Lord with all your heart, he then says in verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. This is probably my favorite and maybe probably the most overlooked of all the principles that Proverbs chapter 3 sets forth. And that is that Solomon tells us that living by faith, what that means is that means that we're going to have to trust God with all of our life. The entirety of our life must be devoted to Him. You know, as I've gotten older, I, I, I've sort of 
come to, to dislike the term faith. I realize that's probably not a, a good thing to say, but that's really the only way that I know how to say that. But the reason that I've come to feel that way is because faith has, it's almost become kind of a, kind of a churchy word, you know what I mean by that? We don't ever seem to use the word faith unless it's within a religious context. You know, nobody goes to their kid's little league game and says, I have faith in you, Johnny. Wow, if a parent said that, the kid would probably die of embarrassment. We don't say that kind of thing. We say things like, you can do it, or I believe in you. But, but faith... Eh, that's just not one of those words that seems to, to travel outside of, of religious circles. And as a result of that, faith has become a concept that to many people really only has meaning. It really only has meaning in here, in a church building. When we think about church sorts of things, religious sorts of things. Faith only works in this place. It doesn't really have a whole lot of meaning in the outside world. In fact, I'm even afraid that for a lot of Christians that the only thing that they know about faith is that it is connected to the plan of salvation. That you hear the gospel, and then what's the second thing? You need to believe the gospel. Got to have faith before you can become a Christian. You know what? That is absolutely right. That is absolutely so. Faith is what activates everything else. Faith is what activates confessing our faith in Jesus as God's Son. It's what activates repentance and being buried with Christ in baptism. But you know what? It seems to me that we've sold faith short. Somehow it's become almost exclusively tied to salvation. I have faith that God will save my soul. I have faith that God will forgive me of my sins. I have faith that God will take me to heaven someday to live with Him. But once God's done with all of that, my question is, well, what about the rest of life? Well, what about all the rest of the life that you have to live while you're here on this earth? I mean, thanks God, I got that. I mean, you took care of the salvation thing. I'm going to take care of all the other day-to-day, 24-7 sorts of things. Wait a minute. That's not real faith. That's not Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. That's not acknowledging God in all your ways. You know, imagine if you had cancer and you trusted your doctor to perform major life-saving surgery to remove this tumor. But imagine if as soon as that surgery was over, you just got up and left the hospital. You didn't follow up with your doctor You didn't get any kind of further treatments. You didn't take any of the medication that was prescribed for you. You didn't follow any of the doctor's instructions about health and nutrition and those sorts of things. No, you just go on your merry way. I mean, hey, I trusted the doctor on the day of the surgery, but I'll take care of it from here, doc. Thanks a lot. No. No, that that isn't going to work, is it? That's going to be a recipe for disaster. If I really trust my doctor then not only is that going to affect what I do on the day of the surgery, but that's going to have a profound effect on every part of my life, isn't it? Everything that I do, everywhere that I go from here on out. And I want to say this morning that living by faith means that I am going to trust God with all of life. Not just with religious things, That trusting God with all of my heart means so much more than just coming to church and reading my Bible and praying. In fact, look in Hebrews chapter 11 again. I want you to notice for those people in Hebrews chapter 11, 
Every part of their life was affected because of their faith. Like for example, in verse 8, when it's mentioned there about Abraham. In verse 8, for, for, for Abraham, faith meant that he had to pack up his family and move to a new land, to move to a new location. Anything to do with religion or, or church observances or worship? Or what about drop down to verse, verse number 11? In verse 11, faith for Sarah meant that she had a baby. How about that? She had a baby by faith. You keep on reading in chapter 11. You just see this thing over and over again. Look at verse 23. In verse 23, faith meant that Moses' parents refused to surrender him to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's butchers. Or verse 24, faith meant that Moses said, I'm not going to live in the palace in Egypt. I'm going to go and stand side by side with the Israelite people. Verse 25. Over and over again, these are people who trusted in God and they trusted in God for a whole lot more than just salvation. Yes, salvation was part of it, but it was more than just salvation. Their faith, their trust in God changed their lives. It changed their everyday lives. And if I believe in God as I profess to, then my life ought to be changed like that as well. It ought to be changed in a practical, day-to-day -day sort of way. If I really do believe that God is the creator of the universe and that He loves me and that He cares for me, then shouldn't I trust Him in everything? If, for example, if God says that drinking alcohol and getting drunk, that that's just a bad idea, then don't I need to trust Him about that? If God says that sex outside of marriage, that that just doesn't work, then shouldn't I trust that, that He knows what He's talking about? If God says that foul language and filthy communication and dirty jokes, that, that that's just inappropriate, then don't I need to trust that He's right about that? If God says that laziness doesn't cut it but hard work, that really does pay off, then, then don't I need to trust His Word? Or if God says that my friends and the people that I associate with, that those people need to be chosen very carefully, then shouldn't I trust Him enough to do what He says. In short, if I am willing to trust God with my soul, my eternal soul that's going to live on and on and on somewhere for all of eternity, then why don't I trust Him with my day-to-day -day life? Can, can I say that again? If I'm willing to trust God with my soul, then why don't I trust Him with my daily life? I'll say again, faith means a whole lot more than just going to church. Faith is a whole lot more than just that getting saved stuff. Faith in God, faith in Christ means that every part of every day when I am confronted with choices and decisions to make that God is going to be at the forefront of my decision making. I believe that He wants what's best for me. And furthermore, I believe that He knows what's best for me which is why I need to be determined to then live His way. And to do what He says. Living by faith means more than just giving God that, that little sliver of the pie, that little small percentage on the chart that's labeled religion. No, it means I'm going to trust God and I'm going to follow Him in all of my ways. And that's not the last thing that Proverbs 3 says. Would you go back to Proverbs 3 one more time? Look in verse 7. In verse 7, the wise man continues. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. Verse 6, it said, lean not on your own understanding. It seems to me that Solomon is telling us here that living by faith means that I'm going to have to stop thinking that I know better than God. I'm going to have to quit thinking that I can outsmart God or that I know a better way of doing things than he does. Solomon says, humble yourself. Humble yourself and live his way instead of trying to do it on your own. And I want you to know that not only does Proverbs chapter 3, 5, 6, and 7 say that, but that is the clear teaching of all of Scripture. That's just everywhere. Over and over the Bible tells us that trusting in God means that sometimes, sometimes we're just not going to get it. Sometimes we're just not going to fully understand why God wants it this way, but because we trust Him, we're going to do it anyway. And let's just be honest about that. God's way of doing things is very, very different than how you or I would do it. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says, My ways are not your ways. They're so much higher than your ways. And sometimes it seems like God just kind of almost enjoys doing things as differently as He possibly can. For example, if you think about Hebrews 11, who would have called Abraham? to go and live in a land that he had never seen before and had never even heard of before. It just seems nuts. It didn't make any sense at all. Or who would have had the child of promise be born to a woman who was a hundred years old? That just seems crazy, doesn't it? Or what about David? David's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Who would have selected, who would have thought that a ruddy little shepherd boy that he ought to be the big and mighty king of a mighty and powerful nation. David's the last guy that we would be looking at if we're searching for a king. Or about that idea of marching around the walls of Jericho. That's talked about. I wonder if any of our troops overseas in the Middle East, I wonder if they've ever said to themselves, you know, hey guys, I got an idea. Here's what we ought to do. We ought to just march around the walls of the city And we ought to march around them once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, we'll march around it seven times. Then we'll blow our horns and, well, that'll just really show those terrorists who's in charge here. That doesn't make sense at all. That doesn't seem like good military strategy in the least. And yet Joshua and the children of Israel, they did just that. And why? Because that's what God said to do. And just like all of these men and women in Hebrews the 11th chapter, you and I, we are going to encounter commands and instructions that God has placed in His Word from time to time that, at least to our human way of thinking, it just doesn't seem to add up. I mean, come on, it leaves us kind of scratching our our heads a little bit. Think, for example, about the command of baptism and how significant that is in the Bible. You know, what sense does it make to have your body plunged in water as kind of the culminating step in order to be forgiven of your sins. That just seems silly. That just seems odd. You know, surely there has to be some other way to get that done instead of having to go to all that trouble, getting all wet, have to get somebody to do that for you, have to find water to do all of that sort of thing. And you know what? There's been countless people throughout history who have said that very thing. They've said things like, what does water have to do with my salvation? You know what? I'm not not doing that. But do you see the problem there? The problem is not 
a failure or an inability to understand what Acts 2.38 or Romans 6 verse 4 or 1 Peter 3.21 is saying. No, the problem at the fundamental level is a defective faith. Their faith is not what it ought to be. Because real faith never says, you know what Lord, I'll do what you say so long as it makes sense to me. So long as I agree with it and I understand every facet of that, then I'll do it. No, that is not living by faith. If anything, that's living by sight. Living by my sight. Now don't get me wrong. God's commands have powerful reasons behind them. And we ought to seek to understand their meaning as best as we possibly can. But at the end of the day, whether I understand it, whether I get it, or whether I don't, What you and I need is the attitude of heart that Peter had in Luke 5 verse 5 when he looked at Jesus and he said, Nevertheless, at your word, Lord, I will obey. I'm going to do it because you said so. I don't understand. I don't, there's lots of things that I don't understand all of the reasons for it. I maybe don't understand why we need to partake of the Lord's Supper every single first day of the week. Or maybe I don't understand why I can't just divorce my spouse when things maybe are a little rocky and we're not getting along. Or maybe I don't understand why it's necessary for me to forgive my enemies and to pray for people who do wrong to me. I maybe don't understand that all the time, Lord. In fact, there are some times that I think to myself, you know what, I'd rather do it another way. I think I know of a better way to do it. But at Your Word, Lord, I'm going to do what You've asked. I trust you with all my heart and I will not lean on my own faulty understanding. You think about a parent, those of you that are parents, and you're trying to explain to to a four-year-old as to why they shouldn't put their hand on a hot stovetop or why a four-year-old shouldn't go run out in the middle of the street to bounce their basketball. Parents, when you explain those things to your children, Are you trying to get them to understand the electrical principles behind a stovetop and how it generates heat? Is that what you're going for? Are you trying to get them to grasp the physics of a human body in motion whenever it is struck by a vehicle that's moving at 35 miles per hour? Is that what you're going for? No. No, what we're going for, what we want, is for our child to trust us. That if mama or if daddy says, do this or don't do this, that even without any explanation at all, what we hope is that they will trust and obey. And is it any different with God? In fact, I wonder if maybe Jesus had that idea of the child in mind when He said in Matthew chapter 18 that if you want to be in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to become like a little child. Humble yourself as a little child. If we are going to live by faith, we will indeed have to humble ourselves. We'll have to let go of all of our presumptions and all of our brilliant ideas. We'll have to stop being wise in our own eyes. And we'll have to trust the Lord the way that Proverbs chapter 3 describes. You know, there's a story that is told uh, of a missionary who got lost in the jungle down in the deep, dark parts of Africa. He got lost, just terribly lost. After fumbling through the tall grass and the trees for hours and hours on end, 
he finally stumbled upon a, a, a clearing where there was this small village and there were some people there. And he was able to communicate his lostness to the villagers there. And one of the natives, who was able to speak a little bit of English, he agreed that he would help show the man the way to where he needed to go. And so they set out back into the jungle. And hours went by as they were just hacking and knocking through all of this dense brush. And they kept hacking and hacking for hours on end with no path in sight. And eventually the missionary got, he got worried. He got more and more worried the longer that it went. Finally he stopped the native and he said, Hey, where's the path? Where is the way? And the native said, Here there is no path. I am the way. You know, in many ways, we are living in a jungle, are we not? And it's easy to get confused. There's lots of paths and lots of directions that we could go. But in the midst of the jungle in which we live in this world today, we must find the one who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. How do we find Him? We find Him... By faith. That's how we find Him. We find Him by trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. By obeying Him. By giving Him all of life. Not just one-seventh of it. And we submit to Him. Even when we don't entirely understand. That is the faith that finds Jesus the Christ. And that is the faith that we must live by. That ultimately one day will lead us to heaven. Let's pray about that. Would you pray with me, please? Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, thanking you for your word. And we're thankful for the power that your word possesses because we know that the hearing of it produces faith. Father, we're asking you this morning to help us to push aside those obstacles and those things that stand in the way of real, genuine faith, whether that's our pride or our stubbornness or our self-sufficiency. We're asking you, Father, to open up our hearts so that we would fully and completely trust in you. Father, we do come confessing that sometimes our trust in you is lacking and we fail you, we sin, we fall short of what you would have us to be. Forgive us, Father. Help us to look to the example of our Savior, the way, and have him to show us how it is that we ought to put our trust in you. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and for the life that he lived and for how he encourages us and how he assists us in having a living faith. And it is in his precious name that we offer this prayer. And amen.